It is a wonderful resurrection day this morning, and it is wonderful to be with you as we celebrate our risen Savior. And yes, Friday night we celebrated, and like I said, that service takes on a little bit of more of a somber tone. But we know that without that day, we could not be here this morning celebrating. And for centuries, the church has gathered to remember the final days of Christ's life, his final entry into the city of Jerusalem, knowing it would be his last, his final meal with his disciples around a table where he broke bread and poured out wine as a representation of his broken body and his shed blood, his arrest in the garden, his trial and conviction by the religious elite in the Roman Empire, and then his beating and nailing to a rugged cross to be hung on the hill of Golgotha for all to see, and his death on that cross and then burial into a tomb. And then three days later, we know what the rest of the story tells us. He rose from the dead. Those three days, they probably seemed like the longest, quietest days for the disciples, filled with chaos. But we know that the events going on behind the scenes in those three days were powerful, which led to why we are here this morning. Christ defeated death. He stripped the devil of any power that he had. The price for sin was paid in full. Nevertheless, as the church, yes, we've mourned the crucifixion of Christ, but we've also celebrated with joy the unexplainable resurrection of Christ. And you know what, though? I don't like that word unexplainable because we know there's an explanation. The explanation was God. God is the one that wrote this story. And we know that our Savior, he did not stay in the tomb. You can actually visit the place where Jesus was buried and see that it's empty. For me, one of my favorite aspects of Easter growing up was the Easter egg hunts that we had. And I remember growing up at my grandparents' house, they would go above and beyond to have an Easter egg hunt. My grandmother loved to stuff cash into, um, into the eggs. And I mean, some of them were full of quarters, some were full with dollar bills, some were full with fives. But we all knew there was one egg hiding somewhere out in that yard that had a $20 bill in it. And we would search the trees, we would search through the grass, we would climb over the fence, we'd be all over the place looking for these things. And the exciting thing as a young kid is you didn't know what was going to be in that egg. You didn't know if there was going to be candy, you didn't know if there was going to be 50 cents, whatever. Let me tell you though, once you found that $20 bill, that person usually stopped hunting eggs at that point because they wanted to tell everybody, hey, look what I found. But the whole point of that Easter egg hunt was the excitement, the expectation of what are you going to find? And similar to opening those eggs many years ago, many of us, we come to worship on Easter morning unaware of what is meant to be found in the joy of an empty tomb and a risen Savior. How many Easter's have you celebrated? I mean, it could be many, but how many resurrections have you experienced? Some of us, we've been here year after year. Some of us, week after week. Some of us, Christmas and Easter, let's be honest. Some of us, we may not have been here since last Easter. That's okay. But either way, today could be the chance for an unexpected change in your life. This morning, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 24. We're going to be going through verses 13 to 32. We're going to be going through the events of Jesus meeting two individuals on their journey back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
after the crucifixion and after Passover, after Christ has risen. And my hope this morning is that out of these verses, there's going to be four points that I'm going to pull out. And that I hope you will understand that the love that Christ has is a love that never fails. The first point this morning is our expectation rarely meets, matches reality. Let's face it. We get our hopes up for something and our expectations are high. But then when it actually comes to fruition, it doesn't always match it perfectly. And the best example I can think of is licorice jelly beans. I mean, it seems like a good idea, right? Like, jelly beans are good. And, all right, let's throw this flavor in there. But first of all, who's, like, whose idea was it to even create licorice? I mean, it's disgusting. <laughs> like, it's nasty. And then to put it into a jelly bean form, why? Like, just why? Or you plan to have lunch with your family later today. And you're not really sure who, who's all going to show up. And then guess what? Surprise. Everybody shows up. Even the one that's going to talk about politics. And you know that that dinner, your expectation of a happy, fun dinner is now about to take a real weird turn. Because Uncle So-and-So is about to talk about all sorts of weird political stuff. And it's going to make it real uncomfortable for everybody. Or the outfit you put on this morning. You saw it one way, but then when you put it on, you're like, oh, that's not what I was thinking. Well, it's because our realities rarely live up to our expectations. And these are all funny and lighthearted ideas. But however, the truth is, for many of us this morning, we the expectations we have for our life, they're falling short. And that has actually been very painful. You may be saying, I expected my marriage to go a different way. You may be saying, I expected the results I got from my doctor for this diagnosis to be different. I expected to be able to retire from my job soon. But unfortunately, the way things are going, I'm going to have to keep working for a couple more years to keep making an income because I'm not going to be able to live off of what I'd be able to retire on. I expected to have met someone by now. If you're playing the dating game and still single, and you're wondering, Lord, why haven't I met someone? Well, maybe your expectations don't meet your re like the reality. You fill in the blank with whatever you want there. But I'm convinced that many of us, we find ourselves in this place this morning. In some ways, we feel like life has failed us. And let me tell you something. We're not the first and certainly not the last to feel this way. So these two individuals that we're about to read about, they find themselves on the first Easter morning walking along a very dusty road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. Now, three days before, we know Jesus of Nazareth, the one who had many people come to believe in him, believe that he was the Messiah. He had been crucified. He was dead. And with him died the expectations they had about the chance at a life of freedom. They ne never saw the ending in the death of the one who was going to be their rescue. The realities of Jesus' death were very difficult for them to bear. <coughs> Excuse me. If we look at verses 13 to 16 in Luke 24, we read here, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Well, who are these two people? Well, here in a few verses, 
we find out the first person is Cleopas. The second person, they're never actually named in Scripture, but many scholars believe, and if you study, they believe the second person is his wife. And now they're walking this stretch of road recounting what had taken place over the past few days because let's face it they're probably grief-stricken in shock in awe well like in awe of like how could this actually happen so they're talking this out with each other to kind of see if maybe that helped no doubt wondering what happens now the hope that we had it's gone and wondering are we going to face potentially the same outcome that jesus faced when all of a the sudden, they are joined along the road in this journey by someone who should have been familiar with them, uh, like familiar to them, Jesus himself. Instead of being overjoyed that somehow he had survived the cross, the Bible states this, they are kept from recognizing him. Seems odd, doesn't it? The word that the writer uses here to describe the restriction of sight is actually the Greek word kriteo, which means to hold or seize. And it's only used two other times in the scripture in a very similar way. First, we see it when Mary encounters Jesus at the tomb. She doesn't recognize him at first. She sees him as the gardener. And then second, when the disciples are out on the lake fishing after Christ has raised from the dead, and he's on the beach preparing them breakfast, they don't recognize him off from a far difference. In all three instances here, these people, they did not see Jesus for who he was. They didn't recognize him immediately. And there's probably some different reasons for this. Having died and defeated sin and death, he may have taken on a glorified state, and his essence may have been a little bit different. Just enough that without prompting, they weren't going to be able to recognize who he was. In a sense, he was Jesus 2.0. Now, don't forget this couple, along with the disciples and other believers, they had just experienced a very traumatic loss of someone who they looked up to. So, I mean, their vision was probably clouded. Their thought process was probably clouded. That they're not able to comprehend, wait a minute, this is our Lord and Savior actually standing here in front of us. And I know many of us can relate to that and how difficult it is to see clearly and think clearly in the midst of grief. When grief strikes it strikes and it strikes hard and it strikes powerfully. Nevertheless, what is true for Cleopas and his wife, it may be true for us today. We need to remember that when expectation doesn't match reality, here's something to keep in mind. Christ's love never fails. It still never fails. Maybe your life circumstances have made you feel like you're alone. Maybe it's made you question the love of God for you. However, this story suggests that just because we do not recognize, notice, or acknowledge Jesus, it does not mean he is not there. The second point this morning, life's failures, life's situations, they cloud our view of Christ. Perhaps on this Easter morning, you can relate to Cleopas and his wife. You've had the sense for a long time that you've been walking down this road of life. And the expectations you had for things, of how things should have gone, they have not been met. You feel like God has failed you. It feels like a death. You feel like you're walking alone. And though you've cried out for answers, God is nowhere to be found. However, I'm convinced of something this morning. It is definitely possible to feel abandoned and left alone. 
And all the while, Jesus is still walking with you. He is still right there with you. Our circumstances, yes, they can change. But our God's presence and his love does not. Cleopas and his wife thought it was over. They thought it was finished. But what they did not realize is Jesus was right there with them. He was standing right there with them. You may be going through something. You may be going through the loss of a loved one. You may be going through the loss of a job. You may be going through um, a horrible health diagnosis, and you feel like God is not there. Let me remind you something. He is there. It's just the situations of the world. They can become so overpowering that our emotions can just run crazy, and we lose sight of who our Lord and Savior is for just a moment. We know, he, we know he exists. We know he's there to save us, but we feel like, Lord, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here. They thought it was finished. <coughs> the American novelist, Louis Lamore, says it this way, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. Verses 17 to 24 we read here, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Think about that for a minute. The man who died on the cross was beaten and then buried. He's asking them, what's this conversation you're having? Like, really? Like, come on, Jesus. And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And he said to them, what things? So he's still asking questions. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. <coughs> Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman said, but him they did not see. This picture, that Jesus, th this picture of Jesus that's painted here, I love it. After being dead for three days, you would expect Jesus to walk up to them and be like, what's up? Or like in the video, hey oh, I'm alive. I'm here. However, the scripture says these two spoke with him with their faces downcast. They're brokenhearted, crushed. Like, come on, Jesus, tell them the truth. Tell them who you are. However, he does not. He very easily could have been like, I've been trying to tell you for three years. This is how it would end. But you missed it. What does he do instead? He listens to their hurt. He asks them questions. What are you discussing? What things have happened? In light of these circumstances, Jesus invites them to voice the cause of their despair. He invites them to honesty, to vulnerability. Unfortunately, we live in a culture nowadays where honesty and vulnerability, it's a sign of weakness. I mean, look at our politics, for gracious sakes. Look at professional sports. Too often, we reward dishonesty. We are conditioned this way, especially on a day like today. 
a high and holy celebration, when everyone comes in their finest and puts on these smiles and takes pictures and pretend that everything is good, when the truth is, under those clothes and those smiles, everything is not good. For many, a brokenness exists that we've been taught we can't show the world. So instead of naming it or identifying it, we push it down and act like everything is fine. But that's where Christ comes in. And I think what we see in this interaction here is Jesus' patience. His patience with them. This verse is a picture of the passage that we see in Psalm 34, 18, where we read, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Christ listens to them. He didn't have to listen to them. He knew what happened. He knew why they were sad. He, he could have just showed up and then disappeared and gone on his way. It was his love for people that held him to the cross that day. I said this just a few weeks ago, that I saw a sign that it said it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross, it was his love. It was his love for people that rose him from the grave. It was his love that caused him to walk along the road with them and hear their hearts. Thank you. His love never failed them from beginning to the end. And the third point I want to make this morning is that love listens. Now, if you know me, I'm one of the most impatient people in the world. I cannot stand slow traffic. I can't stand when I can't get somewhere on time. I can't stand when the, the days just creep by. And there are even times, you can ask my wife, she'll look at me in frustration about something that's going on and want to talk to me about it. But as a husband, as a, as a man, I want to fix it. I want to fix it right away. So we get like a few words into our conversation and I cut her off. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the solution. Here's what you need to do. Problem solved. And she looks at me and goes, that's not what I was looking for. I wanted you to take a few minutes and listen to me. Hear my frustrations. Hear my heart. Hear my hurt. Let's have a conversation. And I have found over time there is incredible value in having someone who will simply listen. It changes the dynamic. Jesus knows there is a value in us getting it out, getting it off our chest, speaking our pain, voicing our struggle. He's not afraid to hear it. He's ready for it. He invites us to not be afraid to tell him how we feel. What are you discussing, he asked them. What things have happened? He opens the floor right up to them and says, talk to me, pour it out. Not only do you not walk alone, you have a Savior who is inviting you to vulnerability, to speak your pain, your frustration, your disappointment with how your reality has not met your expectation. He's not intimidated by this. In fact, he welcomes it, like I said. He wants to hear from you. He Yes, it may sound like you're whining and complaining to him. Lord, this didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But he still wants to hear it. He wants to hear you pour it out to him and say, Okay, Lord, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Where are you going to lead me from here? Verses 25 to 27, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after listening to them for a few minutes, Jesus finally speaks up. And now what he says to them may seem a little harsh at first, but the real translation here is, do you not understand? You see, Jesus realizes as he walks along with them and converses with them that they had interpreted the scriptures all wrong. The prophets and all that had come before him, they interpreted incorrectly. They had mistakenly thought that to redeem Israel meant that finally the ones who had the power for a long time would be overthrown. That's where the Pharisees got it wrong. That's where a lot of the crowd got it wrong. They thought the redemption was going to come through a king who was going to set up a physical kingdom on this earth and overthrow their enemies. And that they would finally have the power all to themselves. That was their idea of redemption. However, they were seeing it all wrong. And Jesus knew that. He opens the scriptures to them. It says that he explains once again the story of God from Moses to the prophets and all the things that were said in the scriptures about himself. N.T. Wright, who is a very well-known author who writes many commentaries and different study books, he says it this way. Like everyone else in Israel, they had been reading through the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. Have you ever looked through the telescope the wrong way? It skews things like greatly. It gives you a headache. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. His suffering and his death. No wonder they were confused by the death of their Messiah. No wonder they were all like, what in the world is going on? That's not how it was supposed to go. And yet, this is how it was supposed to go. This is what unfailing love looks like. Maybe some of the reasons many of us find ourselves disappointed by God and feel like he has failed us is because mistakenly we thought that being a Christian meant that everything in life would go perfectly. Mm -mm. That's not how it works. We would avoid all the pitfalls and frustrations of life. Oh no. Pitfalls and frustrations of life, they're still going to be there. The only upside to being a Christian is you have the Lord, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you through them, to help you learn as you move through them. You have a loving Heavenly Father that wants to listen to you, that hears you. Many I know, they think they can live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of the world, only to find out it does not work that way. They decided to give up then their idea of Jesus and live for themselves. <coughs> the unfortunate thing is one day, if you try and live like that, one foot in, one foot out, you're going to end up in spending eternal life somewhere. Heaven or hell. There's no in-between. You're either going to be rejoicing with the Heavenly Father or you're going to be separate from His love forever. You pick. You can't be one foot in, one foot out. You can't ride the fence. Jesus, what he was explaining along this dusty road is that the way things truly change beyond the circumstantial to the eternal is not through the power, but through sacrifice. The way of the Christian is not the way of authority and position. It is the way of humility and self-giving love. The scriptures paint a picture of Jesus who gives everything to offer us life, and he invites us to give up everything to find that life he offers. He, all he says is, 
Make me number one. Lay it all down. I want to be part of your life. The reality that you thought things were going to be, no, it's not matching up, that's okay. I've got something better for you. Verses 28 to 32. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the Scripture? So they're getting closer to the village, and all of a sudden Jesus acts like he's going to continue on, but they tell him, No, stay. But could you imagine that moment there? Like, have you ever like been walking along with somebody, and you get to where you're going, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to say goodbye now. And then before you know it, the person's going the same way you're going. And you look, It's like, oh, hey, um, how you doing? Like, kind of awkward. So they urge Jesus to stay, and he continues walking with them. He sits down at the table, and that's when they recognize him. That's when their eyes are open. And as soon as their eyes are open, guess what? Gone. Jesus is gone. This moment... This meal they're having where their eyes are open, this mirrors another moment in the Bible. And this is the fourth and final point. Easter is about two different meals. The first meal, you might be wondering, well, Pastor, wait a minute. What? I'm talking about Adam and Eve in the beginning. When the fruit was given to Eve and she ate from it and then Adam ate from it, their eyes were opened to sin, to what the world truly was to the death and the despair. And God had to step in and say, you know what, I have to remove you now from my glory and my presence because like, you, like you're, you're in sin. I have to remove you from that. And this long-standing curse of sin was then laid on the world. All of creation, we became subject to decay and sorrow. Death became our new nature. However, in these scriptures, in this moment, Around that table with Jesus, Cleopas, and his wife. This is the second meal we're talking about. Their, their eyes were opened, but their eyes were not opened to a world of sin and despair. Their eyes were opened to a world that was free of sin. That there was an opportunity for eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In that moment, their eyes were opened to the new covenant of what was to come. They recognized his resurrection and what he had said, that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed and that he would rise again. God's new creation was brimming with life, joy, and new possibilities. Right in the midst of the brokenness of the world, their eyes were opened to this new world that God was making through his unfailing love and the sacrifice of his son. And just like that, their eyes were open and poof, Jesus was gone. And I love what they say to each other. They look at each other and say, Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they were starting to realize who he was. Their hearts were starting to be churned and moved. I want to ask you something this morning. When is the last time your heart burned within you? When is the last time you truly felt alive? And I don't mean just breathing. I mean like truly felt alive, like everything, like the Lord was flowing through you. Everything was moving in the right direction. 
This story is not about a Savior who died a long time ago. It is about a Savior who is very much alive today and can meet us along our roads of life and open our eyes to his love that never fails. When it comes to Easter, it's not about a resurrection from the dead someday after we have escaped the corruption of this world. It is about being part of this new, good, and glorious world that is being born right now in the midst of the old one. It's about experiencing resurrection power in our life today. Jesus is offering that. Jesus can make all things new. Mike, if you want to come up and get ready. What Easter offers us all is participation in new creation. No matter what your life has been up to, like, to this point, whatever, whatever it's been to this point, no matter how much disappointment you've experienced, no matter how much you've failed, no matter how much you've stumbled, you are offered a fresh start through Jesus' death and resurrection, his never-ending, never-failing love. Oh, his followers, they were devastated of his death on the cross because it seemed to them the love of God had failed them. Like, okay, Lord, what do we do now? And life was not what they had expected. They were expecting something far different. It was not until it became clear that Jesus had risen from the grave that hope was restored. The resurrection of Jesus meets us in our broken lives and offers us a new life. For gracious sakes, in order to reveal himself to his disciples, he had to essentially break into the room. He just showed up. to show. He met them where they were at, twice. Easter is a celebration of a God whose love never fails. So this morning, whether you're sitting here or whether you are going to watch this later, I've got two, two, two questions I'm going to pose. One, are you ready to accept Christ and his never-ending, never-failing love for the first time? Or two, are you in the camp of people where life really hasn't met the expectations you have? You have a relationship with Christ, but you feel like he's distant. He's not really there. But in reality, he's standing right there waiting. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Take the time, cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you're there. And I know the situations of life, they've clouded my view, they've clouded my judgment, but I want to turn it all back over to you and get right back on the track that I was moving. Those are the two invitations I want to give this morning. So if that's you, I invite you to find a place as we sing this song. And if it's the first time you accept Christ, I would love to talk with you afterwards and guide you in further. Let's sing together. So in that place where your view of life and reality is a little skewed and you feel alone. Find somebody to hold you accountable. Find somebody to pull in close just so they can, whether it's a text message or a phone call and reaching out to you saying, how are you doing? How can I pray for you today? There's something to be said for that. It can help bring clarity to the situation, even if for just a brief moment. And don't feel like because you're going through a difficult situation that you're any less in God's eyes. He knows that we're going to go through a rough situation every now and again. But His Holy Spirit is there to strengthen and guide us. But that's also why He gives us other believers to surround ourselves with. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity 
to worship you. We thank you for your never-ending and your never-failing love that was portrayed and came about through the Easter story. Lord, your never-ending love, even when it seemed like your love failed and all else was lost, that you came through in the end and you fulfilled all that you said you would. And Lord, and you're still working today in and among us. I pray we would reach out to you in the times of need. Lord, even in the times of good that we'd reach out to you. I pray for each person here as we go from this place and we celebrate today with family and friends this Easter holiday, the resurrection of Jesus, that we'd be given opportunities every now and again to speak life, to speak the truth to somebody, whether it be over dinner, through phone conversation, whatever it may be. We thank you for this and all that you do. Be with us this week as we go our ways. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. Have a wonderful rest of the day.